Chapter Four of Things Seen in Florence by Elizabeth Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Church and Palace, too. It is impossible in a book of this size to do more than mention some of the other churches and palaces of Florence, no matter how full of interest and beauty they may be. Next to the Duomo and the Baptistery, the most interesting churches are, perhaps, Santa Croce in the southeast corner of the city, not far from the Arno, and Santa Maria Novella on the west, close to the central station. They are, in a sense, rivals, for Santa Croce was built by Arnolfo di Lapo for the Franciscans, while Santa Maria Novella was the chosen shrine of the Dominicans. Consequently, we find, as we would naturally expect to do, that in the one everything seems to bear on the life of the sunny-hearted brother of Assisi, on the other all our thoughts are directed to the sterner and more militant saint of Spain. In the splendid, large, light church of the Franciscans, with its floor of rosy stone, we can read the life of the founder of that order in the carvings on the panels of the pulpit, and in Giotto's matchless frescoes in the Cappella Bardi, here too in a chapel at the end of the west transept we find donatello's famous crucifix which was despised by brunelleschi whose criticism was that the figure hung upon it was merely that of a contadino or peasant not that of the christ everyone knows the rest of the story how brunelleschi set to work to make a rival crucifix in private only letting his friend see it when it hung completed in his room and how the simple-hearted Donatello, letting fall, in his astonishment, the eggs which he was carrying in his apron, exclaimed in whole-hearted admiration, quite untouched by envy, Ah, Brunelleschi, to thee it is given to make the Christ! Brunelleschi's crucifix is also preserved. It hangs in a chapel in Santa Maria Novella. As well as being the church of a great order, Santa Croce is the place of burial, and a memorial of all those whom Florence delights to honour. Michael Angelo takes his long rest here, so does Machiavelli and Alfieri, while tablets in memory of Dante, Galileo, Mazzini, Rossini and others are to be found in aisles or nave. Santa Maria Novella, on the other hand, is somewhat bare, without many interesting tombs or memorials, but it is rich in frescoes, the most famous being those of Ghirlandaio in the choir, and those in the Spanish chapel which opens out of the cloisters. Here, in an enormous fresco, we see the Dominicans in their much vaunted character of defenders of the church militant, under the guise of black and white hounds, the canis domini, or hounds of the Lord, chasing heretics who figure as wolves. Midway between these two churches, in the Via del Proconsolo, we find a church with a beautiful tapering spire, which, like the dome of the cathedral and Giotto's tower, can be seen from all parts of the city, and which, although it has been restored, is very ancient, and was originally built for a third religious order, that of the Benedictines. This is the Badia, or Abbey of Florence. Here the great Count Ugo of Tuscany, son of the foundress, is buried, and his beautiful tomb, by Mino de Fiesole, is one of the many works of art which the building contains. 
the special treasure of the badia however is filippino lippi's masterpiece the celebrated easel picture of the madonna appearing to saint bernard another of the massive palace fortresses which are so characteristic of florence stands opposite this church this is the bargello which as we have seen was built at the same time as the duomo and the palazzo vecchio there are many beautiful things in this palace which is now used as the national museum statues by donatello including his saint george his david and his young saint john the baptist statues by michelangelo and by verrocchio delicate terracottas by the della robbias wrought in that mysterious glazed pottery which they alone could produce also some frescoes by giotto in which he has introduced the figure of his friend dante but the most beautiful thing of all is the ancient courtyard of the palace itself its loggia its statuary its colouring its many coats of arms and above all its outside staircase running up to the second storey all form a picture which it is impossible adequately to describe from the bargello it is but a step back to the piazza della signoria and if we cross that square to the loggia dell'anzi we find ourselves at the corner of the enormous uffizi palace which runs on both sides of the street down to the lungarno on the north bank of the river as every one knows the uffizi palace which was built by cosmo de medici is now one of the most famous picture galleries in the world it enters from the loggia dell'anzi and is connected as we have seen by the covered gallery which runs along one side of the ponte vecchio with the pitti palace which is situated on the south bank of the arno there are immense picture galleries in this latter building also but it serves as well for the state residence of the king and queen of italy when they visit their tuscan capital and old retainers of the house of savoy in royal livery keep a watchful eye on all who enter it is fruitless to try to describe the contents of the many miles of galleries through which one may pass in these two palaces countless books and catalogues have been written and compiled on the subject to visit them is a serious yet necessary undertaking and one or two practical remarks may be useful to begin with the galleries in common with the other galleries and museums of florence are not free except on sundays when the entrance fee is once paid there is no readmission so it is well when setting out to do sightseeing of this kind to choose a time preferably in the early morning when a good many uninterrupted hours lie before us moreover in hot weather it is as well to supply ourselves with a light wrap as well as with the sunshade the wrap to be worn inside the building not outside for the thick walls and marble staircases of these old palaces are apt to make the interiors of galleries and museums very cold and the sudden change of temperature from the blazing sunshine outside is liable to produce sudden and unexpected chills this rule is still more applicable in visiting the churches which owing to their marble floors are even colder there is no need for anyone who does not especially want to to climb the long flights of stairs in the uffizi a lift is provided in the room where one leaves one's umbrella and for the small sum of twopence halfpenny much needless fatigue can be avoided no reasonable person would wish to attempt the uffizi and pitti galleries the same day that is if they wish to retain any clear impression 
of even a few of the masterpieces which they contain but everyone should certainly walk through cosmo's gallery which is lined with portraits chiefly of the medici family in order to enjoy the fascinating peeps which its windows afford of the river and of the quaint old streets which run between the arno and the piazzi pitti two great churches santo spirito and santa maria del carmine are to be found on this southern side of the arno santo spirito was built by brunelleschi he who gave to the cathedral its rose-tinted dome it is large severe and splendid but it is more noted for its architecture than for its paintings very different is it with the carmine as the monastic church of the carmelite order is generally called although the greater part of the building was destroyed by fire in seventeen seventy one and has been rebuilt in modern style happily one old chapel that of the brancacci escaped and here we see some precious frescoes by masaccio precious because this gifted painter who died when he was only twenty-six gave in the fourteenth century a fresh impetus to italian painting which had somewhat languished in the hundred years which had elapsed since the time of giotto it was to the carmine that perugino teacher of raphael came when as a poor and unknown lad he lived in florence and struggled to keep soul and body together on a wretched pittance in order to spend his time in learning the secret of colouring by gazing at masaccio's wonderful frescoes there is only space remaining to mention four other religious buildings two churches a chapel and a monastery before this chapter draws to a close there are the huge basilica of san lorenzo the tiny little church of san martino the chapel of the spedale degli innocenti or foundling hospital and the disused monastery of san marco san lorenzo is a very ancient church which was rather enlarged and embellished by the medici who chose it as their family burying place it had a great octagonal dome-capped mausoleum built for the purpose the cappella de medici adjoining which is the sagrestia nuova or new sacristy built by michael angelo and containing six of his most famous works the statue known as il penseroso which is a life-size figure of the young duke lorenzo de medici father of catherine of that name a statue of his uncle giuliamo and four other figures which represent night and day twilight and dawn although the members of this famous florentine house did so much for the interior of the church which they had chosen for their last resting-place they left the outside of the building incomplete and the rough unfinished brickwork of the façade which was intended by michael angelo to be covered with marble and decorated by statues set in the niches forms a very untidy object in a very untidy square for this is a poor part of the city mean and squalid without being picturesque and on most days of the week one finds a market in front of the church the counterpart of which might be found in any yorkshire or lancashire town here are stalls laden with cheap haberdashery or with old clothes with crude postcards and highly coloured sweets and toffee while even the crockery is ordinary and commonplace and one is glad as one wanders through it swallowing mouthfuls of gritty dust meanwhile that there are other and more picturesque markets to be found in florence yet here browning bought the pamphlet on which he founded the ring and the book 
the little church of san martino is a striking contrast to that of his brother saint of the gridiron standing in the tiniest of squares in a perfect rabbit warren of narrow streets and overshadowed by tall many-storied houses it yet has some tender memories and what is more a living tie to the affections of the poor folk of florence which the larger and infinitely more magnificent building lacks for memories we have only to think of little dante alighieri playing with his childish companions outside its walls for the great poet is said to have been born in a house now rebuilt which stands opposite the church and even if the exact site of the house has been forgotten during the long centuries it is certain that he was born somewhere within a stone's throw of where we stand and that he was married in this tiny church to honest capable gemma donati as to the tie that binds it to the hearts of the people we have only to stand in the doorway at certain hours on certain days and we will see a strange and touching sight in the microscopic vestry where one would naturally expect to see church records and receptacles for vestments are piles of golden crusted freshly baked loaves guarded by a kindly official who regards the curiosity writ large on our faces with an amused smile presently a number of poorly yet decently clad people begin to arrive in ones and twos and slipping quietly into the vestry produce tickets which they exchange for bread some charity we say rather disappointed at such a prosaic ending oh yes but a charity upon which the fragrance of a good man's life ended some five hundred years ago still lingers we get the key to the story when we go round the outside of the church and see an ancient stone arms-box let into one of the walls with an inscription above and below these inscriptions tell us that this is the money-box of the buon uomini di san martino or good men of saint martin and that the contributions are for the shame-faced poor it was san antonio the much-loved prior of the monastery of san marco afterwards archbishop of florence who founded this tenderest charity and chose and banded together twelve of the most upright men he knew merchants most of them to be the first buonomini to act as his lieutenants in seeking out and succouring those who in the ups and downs of the restless times in which he lived had found themselves plunged from affluence into poverty and who being too proud to beg were in danger of perishing from starvation to the citizens at large he appealed for aid and his appeal was not in vain for money flowed into the old arms-box which was new in those days and to judge from the sight that we have just been watching it has flowed in measure at least ever since if the society of the good men of st martin can be described as a tender charity the term is equally applicable to the work that is carried on in the spedale degli innocenti that great florentine institution which for four hundred years has opened its doors to receive and succour those little waifs and strays of humanity for whom at their birth there was neither place nor welcome a visit to the chapel would be incomplete unless we saw over the splendidly equipped hospital as well for money is never wanting in italy for charitable institutions which are fitted out in a manner which excites the envy of philanthropists in other lands the building itself is no grim barrack-like edifice it is light and sunny and airy 
and everything about it speaks of childhood. It is entered by a loggia, from the façade of which Andrea della Robbia's delicious swaddled babies look down on us, each from its own circle of blue. Within, in the courtyard, another delightful picture awaits us, an annunciation in relief, also by Andrea della Robbia, where, amidst spotless lilies, and surrounded by a circle of baby cherubs, the archangel Gabriel is communicating the wondrous tidings to the Blessed Virgin. In the chapel itself, we find as an altarpiece Girlandaio's Adoration of the Magi, where, beside the wise men from the east, two little white-robed innocents, with sword-cuts on their baby heads, and halos round their brows, join in worshipping the child. The hospital is under the kind and capable care of the sisters of St. Vincent de Paul, who have under them a number of clean, healthy-looking women, who act as nurses, and who are always dressed in white. Although the infants, if they are strong, are only kept in the hospital for six or eight weeks, after which they are sent into the country, and are boarded out with respectable peasants, who bring them up with their own families, till they are old enough to go to service, the institution is always full, and we may walk through room after room, filled with tiny cribs, like iron clothes-baskets, which are lined with white, and swing from an iron hook. Each has its own occupant, and each occupant has its own medal, with a number and a letter stamped upon it, tied round its neck. This number and letter correspond to a name and address which is given to the authorities when the child is received, and entered into a book, so that when it is old enough, it can trace its parentage, if it chooses to do so. Everything is worked on the newest hygienic principles. All the milk is sterilised and kept in hermetically sealed bottles. The babies are weighed at intervals on scales, protected by a soft covering. Most fascinating of all, to baby lovers at least, is the room, carefully kept at an even temperature, where they are washed on a large table, fitted in the centre with hot and cold water, and where, during the process, they lie and chuckle and kick, not on the bare boards, but on a padded covering, which extends over the surface of the table, and is protected by oilcloth. The same atmosphere of dainty brightness, which the della Robbia Bambini shed around the Hospital of the Innocents, lingers also in the shady cloisters and plain little whitewashed cells of the Monastery of San Marco, which stands just a street's length farther on. For here Fra Angelico lived and laboured, and his frescoes, so exquisitely simple, and yet so beautiful, meet us at every turn. Over the door by which we enter the cloister is his St. Peter Martyr, with finger on lips, enjoining the Dominican rule of silence. Over another door we see two monks of that order, receiving the Christ in the guise of a tired traveller, Opposite us is the angelic brother's crucifixion, which we find copied in each of the novice's cells. Each of the cells which belonged to a fully professed brother was decorated by a fresco depicting some scene in our Lord's life by Fra Angelico's own hands. And not content with that, he painted one of his finest annunciations on the passage wall. The good San Antonino was prior here before he became archbishop, so was Savonarola, and we can see the double cell which he occupied when in that position, 
with his desk stool and crucifix still remaining in it also a volume of his written sermons dark with age but still quite legible and in a case that hangs on the wall a morsel of his gown and a charred fragment of the wood that formed his funeral pyre End of chapter 4